Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your copy of the Word of God. Hope you brought it with you. The first John, chapter 5. Not the Gospel of John. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But toward the back of the Bible, John also wrote a letter, some letters. And that's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Right before the book of Revelation in Jude, you'll find that. 1st John, chapter 5. I love a story Billy Graham used to tell about Albert Einstein. Einstein was on a train ride, and as the conductor came by in those days, as they did to punch your ticket, Einstein started looking in his pockets and searching for his ticket, and the conductor said, that's okay, and went on by, and as he came back and made his way back, Einstein is still looking, and he says, Professor Einstein, it's okay, you don't have to worry about a ticket, and, and so they're just, they're, he's just digging in his pockets, he can't find it, just can't find it, so finally the conductor says, Professor Einstein, it's okay, we know who you are, don't worry about it, he says, I know who I am, I just don't know where I'm going, I want you to know where you're going. The Bible has so much to say about heaven and a relationship with God that's made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's so important that God wants us to know for certain that we're headed to that place. John even wrote this letter, so if you would follow along, we're just going to look at two key verses and and then come back and look at the context of John's letter. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Skip down to verse 13 with me. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. First truth here, I'm not even going to spend a lot of time, but it's a no-brainer here. God says you can know that you're going to heaven. I heard a man share this week about how he was raised in a, in a, in a church tradition. And that what they said to him is you can never know for sure. You always have to wonder if you're going to heaven until you get before God. And that's when you find out. Folks, that's no way to live. God's Holy Spirit inspired John to write these words. I'm writing these words, he says. I'm writing these letters to you believers so that you can know that you have eternal life. So let's answer or make five statements to answer the question, how can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? Because John says you can know for sure. Let's look at five things. First of all, I can know for sure if I have a spiritual birthday. I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven, that I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of God if I have a spiritual birthday. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, by the way, some translations say Christ, that just means the Messiah, the anointed one, God in the flesh, who came to give his life for us. Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah have been born of God. A spiritual birthday. A spiritual birthday. Hold that place in John, 1 John, and we're going to go to the Gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. Verse 12 and 13. Speaking of Christ who came to give his life, 
God in the flesh. These words are written. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Those who believe in Jesus Christ can come to that place of acting on that belief to be born again. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus in, in, in the Gospel of John, and John records it, the Nick at night situation. Remember that? And Nicodemus comes to him at night and, and says, how can I know? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And he says, I don't understand that born again. Can I enter into my mother's womb again? He says, no, you need to be born of the flesh and of the spirit. There has to be a spiritual birth, Nicodemus. And then John writes in his letter here, in 1 John, there needs to be a spiritual birth. Have you had that spiritual birth? Can you go back to that day? You may not know the date, you may not remember the year, but can you go back to that time in your life where you were born again? It just doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't say, well, I've just always gone to church all my life, and I guess I'm going to heaven because of that. There needs to be a date of birth. Listen to C.S. Lewis as he describes, as he writes about his conversion experience. He was attending college in, in Oxford there in England. And he writes of that night. He says, you must picture me alone in my room at Magdalene, which is the college there in Oxford. Night after night, feeling that whenever my mind lifted for even a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him of whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In that term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Lewis describes his surrender. He describes a point in his life where he passed from death to life. Even maybe at that time in his studies, studying theology, understanding all the, the great mysteries of the faith, yet he came to that point where God pursued him, and he stopped and he said, I surrender to you. There needs to be a spiritual birthday. Now, how does that take place? It's the second thing that I need to see in my life to be reassurance for me, and that's this. Number two, I have believed and received the Son of God by faith. I need to go to a time in my life where I had that birth date, and that birth date, this is what took place. I have believed and received the Son of God by faith. Again, John, John chapter 1, as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who received him. Those who believed. See, belief is not just intellectually ascending to the fact that Jesus is God's one and only son and that he gave his life on a cross for you. Believing is to trust in completely. To trust by faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we'll put a chair out and we'll illustrate We'll illustrate this faith issue, the belief issue, by saying, I can, I can tell you that that chair will hold me up. And I can tell you all the dimensions and all the engineering that was put into that chair. And I can preach about that chair. And I can talk about that chair. But I haven't demonstrated that I trust that chair to hold me up until I do what? Until I sit in it. You can know all the stuff about Jesus. But you haven't demonstrated by faith that you're believing in him until you trust him. And John says, whoever received him, in John chapter 1, whoever received him, that's by faith. That's a decision. 
That's taking the gift. I can purchase a gift for you and write your name on it and wrap it up in pretty wrapping paper or get Kelly to do that for me. She does that well. I wrap with duct tape and newspaper, so that's not nice. But she could wrap that gift in. I could come to you and present it to you and say, I, I purchased this gift for you. It's yours. And you just kind of look at it and you scratch your head and you say, well, that, that's nice. That's really nice. And, and then I say, well, you take it. Well, I don't know. Let me think about it a while. See, it's not really yours until you do what? You receive it. Have you, have you come to that place in your life where you have been born again by the Spirit of God and you have received that free gift of eternal life? In 1 John chapter 4, back to 1 John, verse 15. John writes these words, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. That's to, that's to receive by faith and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life. To know that I have eternal life, I need to know that I've had a spiritual birthday. I need to know that I've not only intellectually believed it, but I've trusted in him and I've received him by faith. Number three, the third assurance. I have a sense of God's abiding presence in my life. A sense of God's abiding presence in my life. Now, John wrote his gospel to unbelievers to say, we want you to believe. John wrote these letters in 1st first, and 2nd second, third John to those who believe so that they can know. He said in verse 13, I'm writing these things so that you can know. So in the context of 1st John, look with me at 1st John chapter 3, verse 23. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way that we know he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. John is saying through the inspiration of the spirit of God, there will be a sense in your life that the spirit of God dwells in you. See, when you, if you're a follower of Christ and you've prayed to receive Christ and you have that spiritual birthday and you prayed and received him by faith, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes to live within you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that our body is the dwelling place, the temple, the sanctuary, the Spirit. He lives within me. I cannot explain it, but I know it. It's not a warm fuzzy. I like warm fuzzies, especially when it gets in the 30s around here at night. Man, alive. But I, I like warm fuzzies where you get together with the people of God and you know you just... You just it's just neat to be together and, and to celebrate what God's doing and, and to, to sing with this worship team. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. To listen to the choir and to sing along with the choir like I do. I'm singing out there with them. They don't know it. It's a good thing they don't hear it, but that's all good. I love that. I love that. But I'm not talking about that because I believe you can be an unbeliever, walk in this room and experience that. You can experience that, that, that sense of his presence. I'm talking about this deep, abiding assurance that God lives in you. That you're different. That you've invited the creator of the universe. Can you get this? The sovereign, almighty God, creator of the universe, chose to come and give his life for us in the person of Christ and then live within his creation in the person of the Spirit of God. 
And there is this deep abiding sense of his presence. Remaining abiding. John says in chapter 5 verse 11. Backing up a little bit there. Verse 11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. If you don't have the abiding sense of the Spirit of God living within you, you need to check up. Not do you feel good about it, not is, are things great when you get around the people of God, but when you're all alone and nobody else is around, you know that he's living within you. A sense of his deep abiding presence. You know that he's there. You may not be able to point him out to people. You can't see him. Like the gopher at my house. I haven't ever seen the guy. But there is evidence everywhere you walk in my yard that he's been there. Can you relate? I remember we first moved here. We had never seen anything like that. And I I told Larry's wife, Rosemary, I said, we have a gopher in our yard. She said, welcome to Rockport. This is where they live. But I've seen the evidence of that guy in my yard. I know he's been there. I I can't point him out to you right now. I wish I could. Ring his little neck, right? No, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) No. There is evidence in my yard that a gopher lives there. I haven't seen him. I can't explain it, but I know he's there. Is there evidence in your life that the Lord Jesus Christ lives within you? Nobody else trying to tell you what it's supposed to be like. You just know in your heart of hearts. Number four, I can know for sure that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. As I look at this fourth characteristic or attribute or trait, I consistently obey God's word. I consistently obey God's word. I tell you what, you want a challenge. You read 1 John over and over and how John paints this picture of of what it is to be in darkness without Christ and what it is to be in the light with Christ. To To be living in the darkness is to be in sin. To be living in the light is to be without sin. And he doesn't mean you're perfect. He doesn't mean you're sinless. He's showing you that that this should be the characteristic, the habit of your life, consistently obedient. Look with me at chapter 3 again in 1 John. We just read it a minute ago, but I want to go back to verse 23 and 24. Now this is his command, that we believe Jesus, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. Keeping his commands is evidence that we belong to him. Jump back to chapter 5 with me. Look at verse 3. Again, John's writing about how you can know. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not burdensome. They are not a burden for you. Evidence of a conversion experience is that I will be consistently obeying the word of God. Okay, listen to this. Don't miss this. I am not perfect. I still sin, just like you do. But the more I understand my relationship with God, the more my life is characterized by obedience instead of disobedience. Does that make sense? 
That's what John is trying to say through here. He's trying to say, look at your life. Is it characterized by disobedience or obedience? I've had people who live, who've come to me over the years as a pastor, and I've looked at their lifestyle, and I've seen disobedience. That characterizes them. And they come to me, and they say, Pastor, I'm really struggling. And I ask them about their relationship with Christ, and they say, well, when I was whatever year old, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer. And I, I say to them, well, look at your life. Was there any change? Because I don't see evidence of change. Well, I, I did what the pastor told me to do. I prayed a prayer. That's not what saves a person. It's a decision of the will where you surrender to Christ and receive him. And when you do, then your lifestyle is not characterized by disobedience, but obedience. Now, I know for the new believer, you are still here struggling. And you say, well, I thought the day I received Christ as Savior, everything would be fine and I'd be over here. And we do, we do wrong when we don't tell people it's a, it's a process. Yes, you, you are now in Christ and you have the desire to say no to sin. You, you want to be consistently obedient, but you have the old habits that keep pulling you down. It is a moment-by-moment decision to surrender to the Spirit of God that puts in your life a lifestyle of obedience and consistency. But look at your life. Is there consistency in obedience? Ray Ortland tells a story about his, just this object lesson, I love it, about his, his heart. He says, it, it's as if there was a, a boardroom in my heart and different members sitting on the board, different selfish desires that I have in my life. And then he says, it's as if some people are confronted with the reality that Jesus Christ wants to be their Lord and Savior, and they, they invite Jesus to come sit at the table at the boardroom, at the committee room, in their heart, and be one of those voices who speaks truth and guides the life. And it's like the, the Hindus. You try to lead them to Christ, and they just make Jesus one of their many board members. He says he realized it really wasn't about inviting Jesus to sit on the boardroom of his heart. It was all about firing the board and saying, get out of here. You're not in charge anymore. And inviting Jesus to come in and be in charge. See, when that happens, when that happens, your life will be characterized by obedience instead of disobedience. A spiritual birth where you believe and receive Christ, where he gives you a sense of his abiding presence in your life. And as you look at your life, consistency and obedience versus consistency and disobedience. And then number five, I can know and have some assurance, as John in his word tries to communicate, when I am constantly being changed by God. I can have this assurance as these five things are unfolding in my life. Number five, I am constantly being changed by the Spirit of God. First John, the whole book, the whole letter, he says when, when you come to know Christ, you're going to want to stop sinning. You're going to be character, characterized by light and obedience and not disobedience. You will be changed. Look with me at Romans chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Listen to how Paul describes what takes place. When a person genuinely 
repents of their sin and trusts Christ as Savior. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You know what God's will is for you? It's stated very clearly there that you be conformed to the image of his son, that you be, you be conformed to Christ's likeness. In chapter eight of Romans, Paul writes that God uses all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, and his purpose is that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. Is your life characterized by change, becoming more Christ-like moment by moment? I don't like change. That's my confession, okay? I don't like it. The change that God has allowed in my life and in the life of this church is by his grace. Because if it was up to me, I'd be stuck. I like routine, and I like not to be challenged, personally. Anybody else like that? But when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, you know what happened? He said, in essence, your life's going to change. And he started that, that moment. I, he transformed me and regenerated me and gave me a new heart. I became a new man, as the Bible says. In Christ, all, all things are new. The old has passed away. But he has consistently been transforming me and conforming me to Christ's likeness. Like our computer that constantly has the window that pops up and says, time for an update. Do you get sick of those? I just bought this software. What do you mean update? What do you mean download that one? I thought I just downloaded it. Well, my computer's not going to talk to, your computer's not going to talk to that thing unless you download our software. I get weary of that. Update, 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 update. You have to do it, don't you? Or else you're in the dark ages and you have a computer that you have to hand crank to get it going. It's, it's constant upgrading, which means I have to constantly update. Wow, is that not a picture of the Christian life? God is constantly trying to move me from where I am to where he wants me to be. Constantly. Sometimes I say, Lord, I'm okay right here. Please. But he's, he's always bumping me. He's always saying, it's time for an upgrade. It's time for an update. It's time for you to change some things in your life, Kevin. How can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Can you go back to a spiritual birthday? Have you believed and received the Son of God by faith? Do you have an abiding sense of his presence in your life? Are you consistently obeying him more than consistently disobeying him? And do you see change happening on a regular basis in your life? If so, John says, I'm writing this stuff so that you can know that you have a home in heaven. Now, folks, if you're like me, I wake up some days and I don't feel like I'm going to heaven. You know, there are those people who wake up and then say, good morning, Lord. 
I wake up and I say, good Lord, it's morning. There's some days when I wake up and I, I'm struggling, but the Bible says it's not based on my feelings and my emotions. It's based on God and his word. That's why John wants to write these assurances. Look at Romans chapter 10 with me. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, if we confess, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Look at verse 13 with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? That means everyone who has a spiritual birthday Everyone who can go to a a moment in their life when they've invited Christ to come in and take up residence in them, to change them, where you've repented of your sin. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And then take him at his word. For those of you who are doubting whether or not you're going to go to heaven, I, I encourage you to pray over these five things. And say, God, reveal to me if if I can go back to a spiritual birthday. You don't need to remember the date and time. I don't, but I remember the moment. I could tell you where I was and who I was with, and I can remember praying and asking Christ to take my sins away and to come into my life. You need to have a date, a time, a place, a, a moment where you surrendered your life to Christ. I believe that's important. And at that time, did you do what God says to do? Did you believe him? Did you receive him by faith? And then do you see these other five ingredients playing out in your life? Not that you're perfect, not that you've arrived, but that you're a work in progress. Anybody here a work in progress? I am. So I want to say to those of you who are doubting, look at these five things. And I'd encourage you to do what I did. I, I don't have that Bible with me, but that copy of the Word of God that I had when I was a new Christian... I was only a believer for a few years, and God started speaking to my heart about, about ministry. I had no idea what that would be like. I never dreamed in those days I would be a preacher, a pastor. Farthest thing from my mind, but God was stirring my heart about something. And at the same time that God started stirring my heart, I started sensing that he wasn't there. Figure that one out. Boy, is our enemy not cunning and crafty? And in those days, those dark days, I began to wonder if God really existed. I began to wonder if God's word was really God's word. I began to wonder if Jesus Christ really was my Savior. And I would struggle, and, and I, I would begin to pray, God, I, I don't know what you're doing in my life. And at the same time, the enemy would whisper in my ear. I never heard his voice, but I heard it in my heart. Kevin, what are you doing? God doesn't hear you. He's not even there. And then I would kind of get through that and, and work through my faith issues and realize, yeah, God really is there. And then he'd say, you know what? When you prayed that prayer when you were a teenager and you made that commitment, you really didn't mean it. That was nothing. Look at your life. You're not perfect. Man, it was tough. You're not going to heaven. And I had all that stuff swirling in my brain and in my heart. I would go to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And I've worn a place out in my Bible. Because I read it and I pointed to it. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I, I stood up in my apartment and I read it out loud. I felt funny doing it. I've never done that before. But I said, okay, Satan, if you're listening, 
I'm glad nobody else was in there to hear that because it felt really weird. But I said, Satan, if you're listening, I want you to hear this one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I did that. I trusted him. According to his word, I'm saved. And I read it over and over and over and over again. I think that's what John was doing in, in, John, in, in his epistle, 1 John. He, he's trying to say, I want to write the truth for you guys so that you can go back. And I've just, I've just gathered the truths in five. But if you're doubting, and you can go to a time when you prayed to receive Christ, and you meant it in your heart, and you see these evidences in your life, but the enemy is throwing junk at you, go to that verse right there, and you remind him. You remind him. Somebody said, next time the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. So those of you who can see these five things in your life, but you have doubts, go to the word of God. Take him at his word. Now, for those of you who look at these five things and say, Pastor, I don't have a spiritual birthday. I've just always gone to church. I, I can't even remember joining a church. Been there, done that. I, I don't really think there was a time in my life where I surrendered my heart to Christ. I want you to know today that you can do that and be sure of that. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, man, what a, what a great day to do that. The Bible says now's the day. Why wait? You may have been coming to this church your whole, most of your life. We got some kids that grew up here. You may have been going to this church for years, but you've never really and truly trusted Christ as Savior. You've just gone through the motions. We want you to know for sure today. Folks, life is too short and eternity is too long not to make that decision and nail it down. Pray together.